Hello, St. Lukers, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, your weekly podcast that gives you deeper insight into scripture, particularly the scripture we will be preaching on each week in worship. I'm Pastor Melissa, and I am excited to be guiding you deeper um, as we continue in the book of Isaiah this season. We're in the Advent season still exploring the presence of Christmas and the withness God offers us throughout our lives. Last week, we looked at discovering hope for our futures uh, because of how we are able to find hope in our past. And this week, we're focusing on our present life, looking for peace in our present. Now, like I said, we're still in the book of Isaiah, but we're jumping back a few chapters from where we were last week. If you remember last week, we talked about how Isaiah has three sections, one from the time of the Babylonian exile and two from the post-exilic period. Now, this week we're looking at Isaiah 40, which is the first chapter of 2nd Isaiah. So the first text in the post-exilic canon. So let's read this together. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert, make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level, and rough terrain a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear, and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. A voice was saying, call out. And another said, what should I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up, and the flower withers when the Lord's breath flows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. Go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. Hmm. This is how the prophet begins the vision cast for the Jewish community in Judah after the exile. Now, the context we see here is um, a trial of the heavenly council, which will lead to a judgment of the nations in chapter 46. We get multiple voices, not just God's voice or the prophet's voice. We get different heavenly voices who defend and speak to and for God throughout. We get broad imagery here, particularly the image of wilderness. It's a metaphor that speaks deeply to the Jewish people, as they can remember their wandering ancestors before they arrived in the promised land, this land that they now too are arriving back into after a time of exile. They also knew it from their own experience of wilderness more literally. People generally avoided travel through the wilderness. It was very hard and dangerous to travel. But the prophet prophet describes a voice, 
one of the heavenly council that declares the transformation of the wilderness, including a highway carved through. This voice names that God will transform wilderness, making it fertile and safe to travel. Now, that may ring a bell in your head. We might recognize a similar phrase of voices in the wilderness from the Gospels. But there's a specific difference between these two voices. In this scenario, there is a voice crying out, one of the divine counsel, that God will prepare a way in the wilderness. In the gospel, we hear uh, a different angle on this, that the voice itself is crying from the wilderness. The imagery here is designed to draw forth the idea that God makes a way through unexpected places in order to retrieve the exiles and shepherd them home. This is what's in process for the Jewish people at this time, and it reflects the outlook of the people facing the ruins of their city and their yearning for God to fully restore Judah and Jerusalem. The theological declaration crosses into a historical assessment that what they have been through in exile should be more than appropriate as penance for their collective sins. They, here and now, are forgiven. Any debt perceived has been paid in double. And this sets up the rest of this section of Isaiah to drive home that idea that the work to be done is here and now, and it's not any longer about the sins of the past. One of the key realities in their restoration period, though, is that while there was hope for the restoration of the city, of the temple, of the community, we know that the trauma endured and the Babylonian conquest did actually mark the end of the monarchy, marked the end of the Davidic line of kingship. This new era that's being ushered in promises restoration for Jerusalem, but it doesn't promise restoration for the monarchy. And thus, much of the theological content of this section redirects the people's attention onto the eternal divine leadership of God rather than the dependence on earthly powers. God is portrayed here through two images, one of an almighty and powerful being with a strong arm and one of a gentle shepherd. And it would be easy to create a contrast between the two, but what the prophet implies here is that they are one and the same, that the shepherd is mighty through gentleness, not in spite of it. The people at this point had found joy in coming home, but they now needed a new source of energy because the task that they were facing was more daunting than they had originally thought it would be. It was not going to happen immediately. The restoration was going to take time, and they were far from recovered from the trauma of their experience in exile. So the first word in this text of comfort for the people is key. Comfort for those who potentially were yearning for the past, or comfort for those who had great vision for the future, but most importantly, comfort for those who were struggling with a present in which Both the glory of the past and the promise of the future seemed an impossibility. They were seeking peace in their present moment, and they had to recognize that the only way that was going to come was through the God of the past, the present, and the future. 
And that God reminds them that the comfort that is promised, the peace in all circumstances, doesn't preclude wandering in the wilderness and being stuck in some desert places. Hmm. This passage also challenges those who might be in the community seeing this as an opportunity to claim power they hadn't had before. It's in these times of transition and transformation after trauma but before restoration that often there's an opportunity for a bit of a power grab. The vacuum left where the monarchy was created, uh, the vacuum left where the monarchy was, it created an opportunity for some mischief. But the prophet calls the people to be above that and to reclaim their community focused on God and God alone. As one writer put it, this passage highlights the distinction between two key groups, those who rejoice at the word of God's coming and those who see God's rule as a threat to their own power and position. Hmm. In order for them to realize the future vision of their restored community, they could only do that by finding peace in the God who has brought them this far, not in their own strength and power. Jerusalem doesn't find restoration by the will of the people alone, but by joining in with God's initiative. You see, long before Jesus declared it, Isaiah is describing the kingdom of God, where all people are aware of their interconnectedness, where power dynamics are leveled, where equity is realized, all because we have given our lives over to the good shepherd who comforts and cares for us. So for us this Advent, we do find ourselves in a bit of a post-exilic space, don't we? We've made it out of a pandemic and we're finding ourselves settling back into some sort of new normal. But we look around and we know this isn't what we want the world to be. We dream of something more, more just, more equitable, more kind, more gentle. We face another contentious election year where we yet again seek to come together and rebuild systems and structures that might just care for all of God's people through our power. But we're at the beginning now, too, of a new vision for our church, centered in God's guidance but relying on our response. So the Advent question this year is whether we're willing to fully give ourselves over to God, more so than our own strength and power, and more so than all the earthly powers around us? Are we willing to give ourselves over to God more than our own fear and trepidation? Are we willing to give ourselves over to God rather than closing ourselves off from one another and putting a stake in the ground for independence? Because what this text tells us is that when we allow ourselves to find comfort in God, the mighty, gentle shepherd, the experience of God's tenderness and comfort will actually change our lives. It'll revolutionize, revolutionize our identity and our calling. We begin to expect more of God because we've actually had the experience of God's abundance by allowing us to find peace in the midst of wilderness places. One commentator says that the greatest hazard is the loss of soul and spirit as we close ourselves off from one another, as we cut away any risks that might lead to joy, as we refuse to believe that God could care enough to comfort us and others in distress. But God upends all our expectations 
As the Holy One breaks into our world, God appears in places of radical surprise, comforting those in trouble, smoothing the rough places, declaring a hope beyond the limits of our days, gathering and carrying all of us wounded and broken. Hmm. And all of that, all of that can be true here and now on the edge of the wilderness as we face a future of great promise. But God invites us to find comfort and confidence here and now, which in turn will give us the energy needed to move toward a future of promise and joy. But we'll talk about that next week. 